Hello and welcome to the Conscious Living Podcast in partnership with The Muslim Vibe, which is a not-for-profit online magazine that seeks to inform, inspire and empower young Muslims in the West. I'm your host, Zaini Pindwani, osteopath, fellow of applied functional science, functional medicine enthusiast and naturopath. I'm also the director of 12th Health, which is a holistic, integrated health clinic that aims to empower you towards better health. I believe that health is more than just the absence of disease. It is a journey of well-being that allows you to fulfill your potential. With these podcasts, I aim to show that health can be improved from a variety of lifestyle philosophies and habits. I'm going to be speaking to a diverse range of fascinating and exciting people from the grassroots of our communities who spend each and every day inspiring us to be present, stay healthy and fulfill our potentials. Through these conversations, we will share some simple, practical tools that can enable us to transform the way we live our lives. I believe that we all have a purpose, and if we are healthier, we can experience more, and if we can experience more, we can live truly. Welcome to the fourth in our series of podcasts. Um, we're privileged to welcome Jaffa Ladik. Um, he's the Imam of the Hujjat Stanmore Mosque. He used to be the director of the DRC Group, which is an agency that provides locum doctors to the NHS, which were the second largest suppliers for temporary doctors to the NHS. Um, he then went on to study in the Islamic seminaries in Iraq and the UK, where he completed his master's degree in Islamic law. He's an avid Spurs fan, I'm sure we'll have some remarks there. Um, and his claim to embarrassment, uh, shameful to say I think, uh, is actually that he still keeps his box set of Dawson's Creek, which he actually watches annually. Um, I'm witness to the fact that he just asked for that same box set to be delivered to him so he can watch his annual um, box set series. Uh, he's an author of three books, however, he still has time for doing that. Um, the stories is written about spiritual leading Muslim scholars and one of his books, his recent one, is on the Yemen crisis um, where he talks about the Islamic history of Yemen and all the proceeds of this particular book is for charity and it actually goes to the humanitarian crisis that is ongoing in Yemen. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you so much for taking the privilege to come out and, and do this for us. So actually, I wanted to start a little bit about yourself, actually. We're going to just uh, kickstart this with some information about you, really. Um, you mentioned in the start there, it was an introduction to you, that you were a director of a DRC group back then. Um, what made that switch? From uh, the world of business to, mm -hmm. say, uh, kind of the Islamic studies world? Correct. Um, that's a lovely question. I was, uh, whilst I was director of the DRC group, my um, desire to study Islamic sciences was increasing and I was trying to balance the two. So for example, in the morning before I would go to work, I would go and study at um, a scholar's house privately. When I would finish work, I would also go to houses and study privately you know, listen to tapes of senior scholars and try to follow along with the textbooks and so on, offline studies. But it got to a point where my interest in Islamic sciences was greater than my interest in, in my businesses. And, you know, it comes to a point where you're pulled in different directions and you've got to make a choice, not just in terms of um, the hours that you're putting in, but just where your heart is. And it got to a point where I felt that I had achieved whatever I wanted to achieve in the business world. And in terms of my personal growth, I couldn't take myself any further if my heart wasn't there. So 
I had to make a decision and for a, a couple of years I was trying to exit my businesses that never worked out but then eventually when some of the other partners left um, I was actually able to leave and I think since May 2011 I've been studying Islamic sciences full-time um, I went to Iraq I've studied in Birmingham I've studied in London um, so I've, I've kind of got the traditional Islamic sciences as well as very contemporary, very academic understandings of those as well, which allows me to be able to um, have an appreciation of the spectrum of uh, interpretations that exist out there. And I also have tried to serve the community in different roles. I've been the imam of a mosque in South London for two and a half years in Streatham. Um, I went back to Iraq to continue my studies, and now I'm here in Stanmore. Mm. Uh, imam of Stanmore since the, the turn of the year. So you know what's interesting, uh, Jafar, is that when people listen to that, that journey that you've gone through, a lot of people who go through that journey will probably be thinking, or maybe my audience might be thinking, he's going on a spiritual journey. Is that a spiritual change in his life? Um, monastery type approach. Um, Buddhist monk comes to mind, right? Go and meditate. Go and learn about your religious perspectives in life and um, you know with the current circumstances of how Islam is portrayed if you like in the media this sounds like you've taken a journey of spiritual change what I want to understand is what is spirit this whole conversation is going to be around this spiritual side of the coin and seeing how health can be improved by changing the way you understand spirit or even spiritual practices but we need a kind of a definition here of what spirit is. I don't think that these two need to be mutually exclusive. We don't need to say there was a lack of spirit in the business world. And as such, I had to go and find that in, you said the word monastery, mm. and that brings out a particular image. Correct. But maybe we'll call it a seminary, which brings together the image of kind of the spiritual disciplines that exist as well as studiousness that exists um, in kind of an Islamic university, especially of one in the Middle East. But I don't think that my spirituality wasn't there in the business place more than it would have been in the seminary or vice versa. I think in terms of academic growth, being able to open up texts and actually delve into them with teachers who had already comprehended those texts, I couldn't get that from the business world. And that's kind of the journey. But that isn't to say that one can't get a greater degree of spirituality elsewhere because you're dedicated to a particular science of which the centrality in Islam is the development of the soul, the perfection, the discipline of the soul, the experiencing the unity between you and God that is already within you but sometimes because of the things that we do, that can become very fuzzy, that can become very blocked. And in the conversation that you and I are going to be having, one of the biggest reasons for that is things like the lifestyle that we lead. And of course, the biggest elements of the lifestyle that we lead are things like the food that we consume, our sleep behaviors, um, the way in which we treat people. But we know that all of that is actually based off the food and the, the, the drink that we consume. Mm. And we're so, going to have further conversations around So all that. of that is still based on, on the spirituality. Correct. So when yeah. we talk about you know, going here and going there, you can live 
a very spiritual life in the business world mm-hmm. and not a spiritual life in the seminary. Mm, interesting. And vice versa. Interesting. Um, on that note, you, you, you brought in the, the health space uh, perspective here of how food and, and exercise, lifestyle, these kind of things can have differences on the soul. But just to stick around this soul, this spirit, it's still very fuzzy in nature. It can sometimes be defined as a feeling. You know, you do something and you feel spiritually energized. Or you've meditated and you've really felt a sense of peace and tranquility. Or you're in a war zone. And within war and difficulty, you've noticed that care and comfort has been seen from other people who come maybe from abroad who are taking care of you or uh, you've seen it within a family or you've saved a child you've seen a different world of spirit this may be a very difficult question to ask if you like but or to define but how do we understand what spirit is within the health space today we've got things like meditation we've got things like going to exercise classes building the spirit of community if you've heard there's terms of spirit of community spirits of the self through meditation maybe uh, spirits of servitude if I go out and serve others, I get a sense of kindness, generosity, those right, kind of things. Right. These characteristics, I'm getting to, a, hopefully I'm getting to an understanding here indeed, of, indeed. of where we're heading. Um, but those kind of thoughts come to mind. Is there a way that you describe spirit in your life and maybe personal to you, but you could bring in your Islamic studies From as the well. Islamic perspective, the spirit is often referred to as, in Arabic, the word ruh. Mm. And the Quran mentions that God blew into us from his spirit. So from God, the spirit comes to us, which means that there's a part of us which is divine, which is pure, which is profound, which is beyond the material and the physical realm. So there is... The physical nature, we are made up of all of these physical material attributes. But there's a part of us that is pure and beyond that. And that's living side by side together at one point. So then we realize, if we, if we take that, that, that way of thinking, that I'm immediately connected to divine. And so... In order for the divine to maximize itself, for the spirit to maximize itself, the other parts that it's infused with also have to be as enlivened, as pure as that spirit. Otherwise, there's a contamination of both. Otherwise, you can't maximize one or the other. It's like me saying to you, let me give to you a glass of water. What I'm going to do, however, is I'm going to drop one drop of ink in it that ink will dis- diffuse throughout mm-hmm. the water now it may not change too much of the water with one drop but you'll know it's in there and the more drops and drops and drops of ink i put in there the darker the water will become so when we talk about lifestyle we talk about health exercise food what we're actually saying is that the material components of us have a direct relationship to the spiritual components of us that's the first part The second part of the spirit is that, according to the Islamic sciences, we are made up of multiple powers, multiple strengths and multiple weaknesses that are supposed to be balanced at all times so that the the spirit 
the soul can be maximized at all times. So for example, in terms of the physical, the material health, we talk about the well-being of the body, the well-being of the mind, the well-being of the organs. In the spiritual sense, it also has certain constituent organs. Mm. For example, we have the power of desire, the power of anger, the rational power. All of these mean that the mind, the body, and the soul come together as one. And when they are all balanced, in harmony, maximizing themselves, that is when the development of the human being is at its most powerful. When one is imbalanced, when one is working very well, but the other isn't working so well, then all of them are affected. So this can come from two angles here. We can come from very material life, overdose of materiality, if that's a word, I made it up. But materialism. Yeah, materialism. Yep. Overdose of that materialism, and that could off-balance things. But similarly, on the flip side, an overdose of spiritualism without... Without the balance of the material essence of our human body and nature, there will still be an imbalance. You cannot have one without the other. Mm. So um, if we take this analogy a step further, you, you have all of your vital organs. Correct. If one of them isn't working, it may not directly affect the other, but the body is still in discomfort, right? Mm. If one part of the body shuts down, it doesn't mean the other part of the body shuts down. It just means that the, the rest of your body cannot work in its fullness of its capacity. So because we have the material, the body, we have the mind, and we have the soul, and these are all constituent features, they need to be working in harmony in order to maximize the self. You cannot say we'll work on one without working on the other. So when we go to things like the, the seminaries, yeah. in the Islamic world or the Islamic universities, mm -hmm. we are taught these as foundations so that you don't think we just won't run after, all right, so brilliant, now I'm going to sit here in a seminary and chant God's name all day long, but I can put junk food into my body. Or I can just sit here and, you know, work through scroll after scroll of ancient text whilst I don't work on the development of my soul. All of these things need to be in balance, and when they are, that is when the human being progresses to the fullness of his God-given potential. Interesting. Let's go on to um, food, actually, relating to this. Because within the health space, we're going to cover a couple of different areas within the health space um, that might be linking to this idea of balancing the spirit and balancing that with what you do materially in this world, what you do physically in this world. Um, we know now science has moved on to understand how food can affect your focus, your concentration, your mental health, how anxious you become, yeah. um, how your relationships could break down depending on the food you have. We know already, innately, just like for me personally, I would say those powers that you talked about spiritually can be innate. There's something that we know exists. We feel it. We feel it. We may not know how to term it. Right. We, know, we may not know how to have a label on it. Yeah. I guess if you're coming from a faith background, like in the we call it we are, the soul. Others will say it's a chemical reaction in the brain. Correct. We're still connected to that divine, if you like. We still know it innately. Even food, we know innately without realizing. So, give an example, common example when you're young and your girlfriend breaks up with you, okay, or your boyfriend breaks up with you. What's the first thing you do? 
food. It's grabbing the Hagendag's ice cream, yeah, <laughs> chocolate cookie dough, yeah. whatever it is, yeah. and you go through the whole thing. Yeah, binge eating comes binge from eating. it, all of it. It's a... We talked about previously about the Netflix binge, binge yeah. watching. Binge watching, yeah. yeah. It's a way of disrupting what's happening to try and focus on something else that can give you a good feeling. Right, so the right? soul has been infused with an extreme passion of love, or an extreme passion, mm. which we might call love or whatever. And when you withdraw that from someone, the body is still, the mind is still seeking, the soul is still seeking something very extreme. Mm. So it compensates on the other end of the spectrum. So now there's still something missing. So what do we do? We, we end up, instead of providing the soul with the extreme love that it was experiencing, we now provide the body with the extreme to try and get the same reaction. Brilliant. To get the same reaction. But, but for the soul. But for the soul. Yeah. But we do it in the wrong way. We end up binge watching. So the mind is now being stimulated. Mm. The emotion is being stimulated through 10 episodes of whatever. Or three back-to-back rom-coms. Mm. Or the person who goes towards the food. Again, they're still looking for an extreme. But then they just eat you know, loads of what, cookie dough ice cream and such. So it, the person isn't balanced. Mm. The person wasn't balanced in the first place. This is what we're seeking. So I think if we term spirit as balance, if can we term it as balance? As a system, the, the whole idea of uh, achieving spiritual enlightenment, or we'll use balance, this word. justice. Balance and justice. Indeed, in everything that we do. In everything that we do. So what's interesting is um, we know now that the, the connection between the gut and the brain and how the gut microbiomes work. They actually send signals to your brain. So let's take, that was an example of an extreme uh, love that was going on, the soul was receiving, and then you went on to the binge eating. But what if every day, little by little, you're taking in the wrong nutrients? Mm. So highly sugar-based diets, we understand that it creates a lot of inflammation in the body. Mm. And it's not necessarily the, the food itself. What happens is, you take in the food, your body does the the right thing, it breaks it down for energy. Yeah, and energy is the key here. But after producing energy, it also creates a waste product. That waste product needs to get chucked out of your system. Now if you're constantly producing this waste product and your body doesn't have the nutrients or the ability to destroy this waste product, it builds up over time. And what we're seeing now is brain inflammation, brain swelling, anxiety and mental health issues coming from nutrient depleted bodies. Okay, and this three pathway connection between how the gut effect is affected by what you're eating, yeah. how then that translates to the brain being inflamed, neurotransmitters not being sent to the right signals, lethargy, f- brain fog is the common word we're using now, yeah. uh, lack of concentration, and then that relating to then, like we're saying, the balance is off, and the spirit not getting what it requires, love, because we get angry very quickly. Indeed, yep. Learning. The, the passion for knowledge yep. because we maybe I'll tell you about my industry if I don't have that knowledge and understanding of how to treat a particular condition I feel wasted yeah a lack <laughs> so, of concentration ability to just sit and read and think exactly rationally through exactly. things so what's happening is from a child as we grow so not just from now but from the child being given sugary cereals constant um, sugary drinks all the time or even non-nutrient dense uh, food as we progress through life our concentration needs to be or our attention span needs to be somewhat uh, it, it decreases so when we get the new film that comes out 
or the new technology that comes out, everything needs to be made easier or things need to make really quick, instant gratification comes in. And over time, I know maybe swing into a different perspective here, but the nutrition affects the way we then perceive or understand things or work in our day-to-day life, how we grow in our ability to uh, make changes in our economy, make changes in the world, how we feel about oppression around the world. All of these things might be affected, affected by all of this that we put into our body. By what we put into our body. Well, it's really interesting. So I think because we're talking about a holistic um, life and what we're putting in, the effects of the, you know, what we're seeing, the concentration levels, there's a really important book called PlayStation Nation, Protect Your Child from Video Game Addiction by Olivia Broner. And she basically goes through some of the history of um, uh, children's um, TV shows like Sesame Street, things like that, and how actually it was recorded and played back at a faster pace so that children what they're used to watching that the change of um the speed of of each um you know what's been played back to them on the screen is slightly faster so when they watch tv now the brain is expecting things to go happen faster 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 and as a result of this when we watch normal tv when we read books we, we can't concentrate as well and as a result, even this, even things like the film industries, mm. they have to keep our attention through things like explosions, car chases. It's so interesting to say that. Dumbo, Lion King, they've been recreated. Right, right? exactly. And just the other day, we were, I was at my, uh, my in-law's house and they, they had Dumbo, which was the 19... Uh, my brother-in-law was telling me 1940 or something similar yeah, to that. Original, That's when yeah. it was originally done. And we were watching it and... Some of us were saying we could still watch it, and others, like my brother who is younger, say it's really slow. Yeah, yeah. I need the next version up, and I just saw the bus today. It's a Dumbo, new release of Dumbo, a new release of The Lion King, and they've created a whole new perspective to that, which is faster paced, quicker, it's absolutely. more explosive. The images that will go to the brain will be sped up. It will be faster paced. The story will have to move quicker because children today cannot concentrate as well as what children in the past could do, just by virtue of when that they're being. What the earliest sorts of images that they're seeing from TV, from film, has been sped up. So the mind has an expectation of the level of information that's coming to it. That's why reading a book is so boring to people nowadays. Because now you have to actually imagine things for yourself. You are creating the world instead of having an expectation externally for the world being created for you. Now, when you add all of these constituent problems together, such as the TV, such as the sugars such as the huge dips in energies that we are getting from all of the sugar bursts, the food that we are putting into us, we're, you know, junk food nation as we are now. All of these things have a compounded effect on us as people, as individuals. Now when you go up from a bird's eye view and you see communities, countries, colonies of people at you know, the level of, say, um, you know, continents it affects us massively and we don't realize why we are going backwards as a people why we're going through certain turmoils as internally so you said at the beginning of the the discussion spirit of the community why is there a breakdown in the spirit of a community think about this question go to your supermarket right go to any supermarket that you normally go to and by that i don't mean the local tesco's the mini one go to a supermarket Mm -hmm. and walk through 
the Isle of, I don't know, cereal. How many different cereals are there? Choices. How many? many? Loads, loads. Loads. We're loads. talking, talking about h- hundreds. Hundreds? hundreds? Yeah. Fair? Well, yeah. I remember reading one study. It was something that said there are 4,000 brands of cereal. <laughs> right? How many different types of cereal do we actually need? The choice out there is so great, yet we know in parts of the world, they're starving to death. Mm. We have 4,000 brands of just cereal, just breakfast. How many different brands of cola? Are there chocolate, crisps, cookies, bread, everything? Yeah. Interestingly, with the same ingredients. With the same principal ingredients, principal but ingredient. the, the, just the flavoring has changed. One half of the world goes to, has to live on their day to day with two dollars or less for everything: their clothes, their electricity, their food, their water, everything. We here have four thousand brands brands of cereal. Right? So there's such a gap in the way in which we live as the world, but so many of us just, we don't see it. Mm. The spirit isn't there. The awareness isn't there. Just the ability to be cut through the fog isn't there. Why? And that's because of all that we're imbibing. And the foods have a real impact on what we're able to. Because now, if these things, going back to the soul, the body, the mind, if the body is really ill, yeah, it's fighting to make itself better. Like you said, it puts out the waste, it goes through yeah. its cycle. But if internally the body is very ill and the mind is being clogged mm. and the soul is now b- blocked, when all three are very unhealthy, as an individual it's very bad. Collectively now, when we have a country of 60 million people who are thing. all putting in the same diet. When I say diet here... I mean body, mind, and soul. Yeah, We're watching the same things. The Love Islands, the, the, the types of reality TV show, junk. We're putting into our body, junk. What do you imagine the soul is going to look like? I said to you earlier, you have a white, you have a, 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 you know, water. You put dot after dot after dot of ink into it. One or two dots aren't going to make too much of a difference. I'll give you this analogy and then we move on. Imagine I put one, you imagine you're walking in the desert and one grain of desert sand goes into your eye you can't see anything the eye waters up you're rubbing your eye Mm. you're in pain Mm. even if I give the analogy of one dot of ink in the water that one grain of sand is enough to be able to make not blind literally but you're rubbing the eye eye. you can't see one dot of some of these things that we're putting into our body the effect that it has on us Mm. and that's the connection between that one dot, one grain, both sides, spiritually, if you put one grain, the same concept, it can have effect on your physical body. But similarly, if we're putting one grain of... You're saying it affects the mind, stuff, affects the soul. Yeah, They're yeah. all relating. They're all relating together. Now obviously, the, the, the great thing is, the physical, the physical body is so unique in, in this way of removing waste products and, and doing that system for you. That one grain, sometimes a one chocolate bar or a one thing, doesn't actually have that big impact. It's it's a a, a build up of things that happens. It's a how does the mind, how does the soul get rid of that waste? How does the soul get rid of that waste? That's a good question. I don't know if you have an well, answer. That, how would the soul get rid? Of it? Re- so let's say I'm 27 years old now, and let's say over time I've been building up this 
waste products in, um, in my body, from the junk food I'm eating, from the, um, the TV I'm, I'm watching. Um, and I'm noticing now, and this just happened to me yesterday actually, or a couple of days ago, a man was just crossing the street and he happened to not see another car that was just literally slowly coming out. And the car beeped at him, so he just stared at him. And then the finger went up and all the rest of it. Yeah. And there wasn't necessarily anything bad happening there. The car wasn't necessarily going fast. He only just came out very slowly. And very immediately we anger. had a quick reaction. Yeah. And a quick, uh, you know, this is me now. It's my life. Why did you come in front of me? Right? Affecting that the soul now. Because the character is being affected. Exactly. The feeling, the emotion is being affected. Yeah. So understanding that, how do we cleanse this? process of us that's going on you know nowadays in the health space what we're being taught and there's lots of these apps now coming up meditation calming of the mind um there's one headspace app which i recommend to a lot of my patients and this will be on the show notes so we can put headspace up the app there and people can go to it um but there's a really interesting video there of um he talks about how when our thoughts are coming through our, our mind it should be like we're sitting watching the motorway mm. the cars are passing and we're just watching those thoughts drive by. Man honked at me, mm, <laughs> drive by. Mm, mm, mm. Um, food was not tasty, not yeah. enough salt in my yeah, food, yeah. go past. But what we're doing is we're jumping in front of these cars and trying to stop them, the thoughts, which you would never do on a motorway, or we're trying to chase them, we're never gonna catch them. Mm. Yeah. So it's gonna be something like, if I um, bring that analogy to life, man honks at me, why is he honking at me? Um, he shouldn't be honking at me. I was crossing the road. You can see how the, it's going down a negative spiral. I'm constantly thinking about that same thing. I'm chasing that thought. Now, if I take that thought to my house and my son's just come back from school and he goes, Dad, Dad, look at this drawing I've drawn. And I'm thinking, why did that guy honk at me? Your mind is still there. My mind is still Your there. Your body is elsewhere. Your soul is not present in either situation. In either situation. And suddenly, breakdown. Yeah. And so in health space today is looking at meditation as being the biggest calming process. And that's coming from different angles. Not necessarily we think of meditation as someone sitting there, you know, fingers together. Yeah. Uh, they're not yeah. talking about that anymore. They're saying sit on a comfortable sofa okay, and just perceive the mind. Or go into nature. I know in Japan they have this nature prescription. You go into nature. And we know that if you want a prescription of um, side effects for technology it's definitely nature uh, interestingly microsoft and apple all their screensavers are nature they're a calming effect on the mind and the body so nowadays we're telling people to go out and do these kind of things to de-stress de-stress the mind de-stress the mind even though there are all these holistic effects of food exercise you know all the other effects that are happening and for me and this podcast not only is it food exercise you know relationships but also how you understand your spirit and how you take care of your spirit understanding that it's a balancing system understanding that you have these specific powers of character building in your life that you need to pay attention to and they put, they play a role in how then your whole body reacts in a situation how it builds okay so today meditation is becoming is growing and i wanted to read out a little paragraph of a chapter here that within faith we had a lot of these things. I mean, fasting is growing in its understanding now. We're doing a lot of fasting protocols, but religions in the past used to do this as a, as a regular. Religions in the past used to take nutrients directly from the earth. Religions in the past used to talk about 
swimming, horse riding. Yeah, you used to talk about active lifestyle, leading an active uh, active lifestyle. Today, moving into the world we have today, I think we've lost some of those. And interesting in this book, it's called The Genius Foods, definitely recommend it, um, by uh, Max Lugavere, uh, if I said that right. But um, it's a really interesting book um, about his journey into nutrition and, and genius foods, how he helped his mother um, through Alzheimer's. But it's an interesting paragraph here, and it's not necessarily um, the, his fault for, for writing it in this way, but it's how we perceive things. So if I read this, uh, he says in the um, ketone section about fasting and the rest of it, he says, nearly every major religion has their version of, version of a fasting protocol, from the Islamic month of Ramadan to the Jewish day of uh, atonement, in the book of Acts from the Christian New Testament, it is said that believers would fast before making important decisions. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Indeed. Right? So they would fast before making an important decision. We're looking at fasting. Nowadays, we understand how important that is for the gut, for releasing toxins, for decreasing all of that. But we're linking that to decision making. So could we then say if we have a poor diet, for example, our decision making could be poor too. And decisions in our life is very important. Then it goes on to say that what all these ancient traditions have in common is that they, that they recognize the psychological and physiological effects of fasting long before they understood the science behind it. Now, you come from this Islamic ceremony perspective, a religious perspective, and we know from, from the Islamic tradition we have fasting, and as we said from the Jewish tradition we have fasting, and also we have, uh, and it would be really nice to read that narration as well of, of food and diet here, um, be interesting to hear what the audience think about that as well. But we have all these practices in so-called ancient traditions, but actually they're not ancient, they're actually innate. They're, they're things that we should already be doing in our day-to-day -day lifestyle. We've lost them over the years. We've gone away from our, what we call in the Islamic tradition, fitra, innate self, and we've moved towards this um, so-called, you know, not, not putting down science whatsoever, but this so-called scientific world. I'll give you an example. Uh, recently, there's been a, a huge studies on eggs, eggs being unhealthy for you. We don't know where this came from, this eggs being unhealthy for you, nor do we know what the study actually went through. People are just reading the headlines. Headlines say eggs unhealthy for you, and they come to see me or the nutritionist say, I've, well, I've been eating eggs all my life, I'm going to have heart disease. Well, untrue in, in nature, but also you look at the study and break down what they were trying to look at, you'll see that actually they weren't actually necessarily just looking at eggs, they're looking at a variety of other things and uh, things that you're doing in your day-to-day -day life that may be impacting your heart um, physically. But could this relate to our heart spiritually too? So... We have a number of points here. We, we have the holistic nature and the relationship between the ancient religions and science and whether when those ancient religions were practicing these dietary techniques, these lifestyle techniques, did they perceive them to be separate from science the way we see a separation of science and religion today? This is one element. Then as you were mentioning, we have to think about how um, some of these ancient religions, and from my perspective, Islam, how it talks about the cleansing of the mind and getting rid of the waste from the soul. So now, from the Qur'an's perspective, there is a term, a phrase, which talks about the holistic nature of a well-balanced life. 
And that is mentioned in chapter number 16, verse number 97, and that's called Hayatun Hayatun Tayyibah, a pure life, a good life. Now, actually, it's interesting because chapter number 16 is chapter of the bee. And in this, that the main central feature in the bee is the bee's lifestyle as an individual, its lifestyle amongst a colony, and its main produce, which is honey. And from here, later on, the chapter talks about whoever believes does good deeds, they will be made to live a good life, a pure holistic life. So it's very interesting about the relationship between, you know, nature and the example that God sets of the colony of bees and what it produces and our own good life. There's a specific relationship which maybe we don't have time to go into now, but it's a well, it's a well worth having a discussion at some point. Now, uh, we were talking, um, you mentioned earlier a narration that in, in our pre-discussion we were talking about. Yes. And from the Islamic perspective, there are entire chapters in books of narrations from the Prophet, peace be upon him, that diet and food and the amount of food that one puts into their stomach is the central reason for health or illness. I'll give you one example. Uh, this narration is from the grandson of the Prophet, who is quote, quoting the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, where he says uh, the following narration. Diet control is the fountainhead of all remedies. Diet control is the fountainhead of remedies. And the stomach is the house of all ailments. Wow. So condition your body while it can still be conditioned. Wow. So there's three elements to this. Diet control is the fountainhead mm -hmm. of all remedies, one. Two, stomach is the house of all ailments, mm -hmm. which is the central thesis of your podcasts and discussion yeah. as a specialist, as a research, as a, as, a, as a proponent of this field. And a central thesis actually in the world of the health sphere now. In the whole health We're sphere, it's based on that. on autoimmune diseases. These it's all starting all here in the gut. Inside of the gut. Right? Yeah. So stomach is the house of all ailments. So, as a conclusion, the narration says, condition your body whilst it can still be conditioned, which suggests that there's a breakaway point, there's a fail-safe point. If you go past that point, at that point there's too much damage to, to be able to, you can slow it down, the disease, but it might get to a point where it's gone too far, mm. which we also know that sometimes we talk about, you know, the failing of organs. You can try to work around it, but it's a limited scope of, of, of response so these are elements that come from the quran we're supposed to live a holistic pure life and we're supposed to see the gut as the centrality of the source of our health and well-being just by extension if there is a failure of an organ or a failure of something physical within your body would you from maybe from your studies from your understanding would that also lead to a failure of part of that soul the failure of the organ doesn't necessitate a fa the failure of a physical organ doesn't necessitate the failing of a soul because the organ can fail for natural reasons it can fail for other reasons which may not be dietary but there are certain things that can fail the organs of the soul such that if it's not remedied and caught then you might have it part of your character mm. so much Part and parcel of your character, there is a part of the soul which is now doomed. 
Let me give you an example. Yes. Uh, from the spiritual perspective, one who has pride and arrogance in the Islamic belief system, and I think this is shared across all the monotheistic faiths, the story of um, Satan and Adam. The problem with Satan was that he had such an arrogance in him that he refused to be able to respect Adam and Eve. As a result of that arrogance in the Islamic texts, he actually says, God says, you know, bow. I don't mean physically bow here. I mean, show respect to Adam as being a superior creation to you. And he says, you've made me of fire. You've made him of clay. Fire burns clay. Therefore, I should be superior. Mm. Now, that one response, that one moment of arrogance in the soul was enough to be such a debilitating disease that it affected everything else that Satan did until now, which made him the master arch deceiver trying to deceive people from God itself. So there are clearly relationships between vital organs of the physical self. The vital, I mean, you talked about the 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 the, the neuro pathway buildup and, and, and the way that some of these need to be firing and the relationship between them. Again, if certain things are unhealthy in the brain, it can cause it can cause the ongoing problem, a debilitating disease in the brain. Just to add on to in that, the soul is the same. To add on to that, just to give to flow into that, what you're talking about, there are actual studies today that talk about how you develop your character. For example, they did a study on kindness actions. Yes. So the kindness to yourself, kindness to others, and they then recorded um, the genetic, if I'm not mistaken, the genetic um, component of creating immune cells in your body okay and I will get this study and put it onto the show notes I can't remember it fully but what they found was just doing so the kindness to the self was actually getting a massage going to a spa they didn't actually realize or they didn't actually find that these immune cells get produced but the people who did kindness to others that actually went out there and served and actually did some kind of kind action to someone else they actually found these immune cells developed further Right. Okay. Yes. And they produced better responses in the body, if you like. So we are noticing, just like pride, pride, we don't have a study on it, but pride may well have a physical reality in this world, in the sense that it, it essentially, if I term uh, these characteristics as spiritual realm, okay, um, so pride, kindness, love as a spiritual realm, they could easily have an impact on what's happening physically to our bodies so if we have pride every day we may also damage parts of our body and and parts of our mind brilliant so two things come to mind the first one is that again from the islamic resource we have a narration from the prophet muhammad peace and blessings be upon him where he is narrated to have said giving charity extends your life Mm. now if we looked at it purely from the spiritual perspective what we're then saying is that by virtue of me giving five pounds, hundred pounds to charity, God intervenes and extends my life. But as we said earlier, there is this in the modern world, a separation between religion, faith and science. From the ancient perspective, as you read out from the book, that actually these things are one and the same. They understood each other. They may not have been profound in their understanding of science the way we are, but we're talking about prophets. So prophets of God should also have a profound understanding of science, miracles, theology, holistic living. Now, in in, in some of these um, researches, we find that a person who gives charity 
by virtue of the calmness that it brings to their mind and to their heart, the heart rate, mm. and the types of um, blood, uh, pressure blood pressure is decreased, heart. the types of um, oxytocin that are released, yes. all of that actually brings you to become healthier, and so your life is increased. So either you understand it theologically, you understand it scientifically, the outcome is the same. And the ancient scriptures pointed to these realities, such as the realities that you were talking about. Now, the second thing about the relationship between, say, the happiness of the soul, which we talked about one element, say, pride was a disease of the soul. And if you actually have pride, it actually affects you in your health. There's narrations that talk about this. I'll give you two quickly. One hadith narration from the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him. He says the following. Piety and greed can never live together. Mm. A pious person and a greedy person, they cannot be the same because these are antithetical to one another. And actually another narration um, expands upon this brilliantly. He says the following. Whoever wishes to spend the days of his life as a free person must not allow greed to abide in his heart. So imagine now... Uh, you know, you know, you come to the table. Greed is allowing me to put all of these different foods on my table. I'm overeating. Now, I'm sure you'll be able to complement this narration. But the Prophet Muhammad is also narrated to have said that the source of disease in the stomach is overeating. Yeah. This is why in the Islamic sciences, we're supposed to divide our eating into three. There's a part for our drink, one third. One third is for the food intake and the one third is for air, meaning space in the gut. I'm supposed to equally divide the space in my stomach for those three. I'm not supposed to overeat. The opposite, he said, is, the, is, is, is that as well. One who overeats, that's the source, the main source of the problems that come from the stomach. So we're seeing all of this relationship between mind, body, soul, but also that the, the, the diseases of the soul, such as pride, arrogance, greed, they have real-world consequences on the way in which I think and the way in which I lead my life, my health. You're going to love this one. Please. So there is a hormone called leptin. Okay? okay. Leptin is your satiety hormone. It tells you when you're full. Mm. Okay? We know today that we get something called insulin resistance when you get diabetes. But we also have leptin resistance. That if you constantly are feeding your body on a regular basis, overfeeding, constantly encouraging yourself to eat on a regular basis, you actually get leptin resistance. Your body actually doesn't perceive that you aren't hungry or you are hungry and it will just keep telling you you're hungry. Sorry, that make it, let's rephrase that. The leptin resistance will keep telling you that you're hungry so you will keep eating. It actually switches off something physically that's supposed to take place in your body to control when Amazing. you should eat and when you should, shouldn't eat when you've got Amazing. something like if we if we now relate that to the spirit if you are a greedy person then the greed could take over yourself you could overeat and we could by extension say you get leptin resistance at a certain point it's blocked right okay? we right. know though having said that and we'll come on to this we can reverse this this system and dr chatterjee has this great book on uh, the four pillar plan which uh, again we can put on the show notes as well that he talks about leptin resistance and he talks about this reality of actually going past that that uh, resistance pathway but then actually being able to come back same thing with insulin resistance and if i'm not mistaken 
from a spiritual perspective, we have the same reality in the sense that you could become resistant, but come back. And we, I'm gonna we let you, absolutely yeah. have that. We absolutely have that. So there's a narration again, which says the following. And I'm going to read it in Arabic first, just so that anyone who has an Islamic Please, yeah. background will, will appreciate this. It says, كَمْ مِنْ أَكَلَةٍ مَنَعَتْ أَكَلَاتٍ how many a single eating prevents several eatings? And you're exactly saying that when the person eats constantly, they build up this um, resistance. resistance to it. How many a single eating? Just eat once properly, well, balanced, so that you don't have to constantly be eating throughout the day. And you know, I'm going to post this up for our audience to try. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried this, but if you try and have a well balanced meal, you're not going to be able to eat that much. Yeah. If you add the correct amount of protein, the correct amount of carbohydrates, the correct amount of vegetables and fruits, you won't actually be able to eat that much. Interestingly, if you eat that meal and someone then gives you a dessert, you actually might actually say, actually, I'm not going to have it because I'm actually full. Mm. But if you have a whole uh, burger and chips, a whole bunch of <laughs> Big Big Mac or all whatever the craziness. it is, all the craziness, and then you tell me oh, I can't eat anymore and I offer you something sweet on top of that, I guarantee your body's going to tell you, eat it. Yeah. Even though you know you don't have space. Yeah. You're saying you're full. Yeah. But the nature of how the body's reacting will actually make you feel like, oh, maybe I'm still hungry. Let me just yeah. have that as well. Yeah. Indeed. Right? Indeed. So it's, it's balancing both perspectives here where we say if you have a balanced diet, it's going to balance your... Yes. You know, Muslims have lost this. What the discussion you and I are having now, Muslims have lost it. Generally and specifically. For example, I know that there's um, indexes, um, obesity indexes across the world. Yeah. The Middle East has some of the highest obesity. Kuwait and other countries specifically. And I'm not, I don't mean to point towards my Kuwaiti friends, but specifically the uh, UAE countries are the highest on the obesity levels. Why? Especially when, just across the road in other parts of you know the Arab countries such as Yemen, Muslims are starving, non-Muslims are starving, and Syria, Christians, Jews, Muslims are all going through turmoil in terms of their economy. So there's an imbalance here generally as how the Muslim world is living. Secondly, specifically in the month of Ramadan where people fast, you can see after they break their fast, they sprawled out. You see, there's actually memes that go about it of these you know, Muslims that have sprawled out, they're just rolled over because they can't get up. I mean, they're, they're just overeating. You know, overeaten. this is what we're known as as well. If you ask any of um, my non-Muslim friends, they'll tell me about Ramadan. The thing they ask me the most about is iftar, which a lot of our community know, as in our non-Muslim community know a lot about. Yeah. And when we break the fast at Which sun, is the breaking the fast. And, and the Eid. Yeah. And they know these Arabic terms as well. And yeah. the reason why they know them is because we talk about them from Constant, a food yeah. perspective. Right, right. When are we going to have this right. big what, iftar? What time we, is iftar? Yeah. What time is iftar? When yeah. do you get the chance to break your meal? Yeah. Um, and we're, I guess we're losing then. If we're doing that, we're losing that spiritual. Well, what we've done is we basically put, we talked about the balance between all three, right? We talked yeah. about the stomach, the body, the mind, and, and, and the soul. And what we're basically doing at the iftar time is putting the stomach at the helm of our existence. Whereas really the spirit is supposed to be at the helm of the existence Especially and the mind and the, the body is supposed to feed into that, if you imagine right. a triangle. Mm. So we have the base here and then we have the, uh, the peak of the triangle. That's supposed to be the spirit or the soul. 
So I'm supposed to feed into it. Now, I understand because one's been fasting for maybe 12 hours, 18 hours, mm -hmm. you know, in the summer months. It's long. But if you notice the texts in Islam, it's so phenomenal. It's so phenomenal. There's a narration which says, He who makes a supplication to God at the point of iftar, meaning that instead of breaking the fast with food first, you break the fast with a supplication, food. Mm. God will never reject that supplication. Wow. So it, it might be a 30 second, it might be a 10 second supplication. At that point, make a supplication to God because then you're remembering God at the point of hunger. You know, what, what I mean to say is you've been, you've been hungry and thirsty for 18 hours. You're now permitted to eat. What would be the normal, rational thing to do? Go and get a nice cup of tea, especially for us in the Asian community. You know, tea and sugar, it goes down. Biscuit, we have a date. You know, you know we have eat with, we break the fast with a date. At that point, God is actually saying, hold on for one second, prove the discipline. Speak to me for 10 more seconds when it's permitted to you for you to be able to eat and then eat. Mm -hmm. And the idea would be that you would have Balanced yourself, but you'll be in control now of what you eat because you'll be remembering God before you eat. Mm. You know, as we as we come to this conclusion, this discipline, um, you, you mentioned this discipline and what we're losing is is discipline in all vectors of our life. But within the health space yeah. is discipline that pushes people away from taking a nutritional change is discipline that takes people away from doing exercise. It's this motivation to have a discipline to actually say, let's do these things. And I ask every guest on my podcast, um, we want to give some practical tools. Now I understand within some of the spiritual practices within Islam as well, we have this idea of the morning vigil. Yes. We have this fasting periods of time, yeah. not just only in the in the holy month of Ramadan, but also outside of those of those times. Um, we have times of communication or meditation to God, supplication, as you quite rightly put it. We've got these practices. Um, I understand, if I'm not mistaken, again, that uh, when you enter these Islamic seminaries, they imbibe these practices within your learning. For you to maybe not realizing at the beginning, but later on realizing that these actually have disciplines in your life and they create these health changes and benefits. I'll give you an example. The morning vigil. We know that cortisol levels peak at a certain period in the morning. Around 6.45, 8 o'clock, they come to this peak peak time and that's when they should be raising because that's a stress hormone it's supposed to get you ready for the day melatonin is the opposite hormone it's the one that gets um, switched on at night when it's darkened and you're going to bed at night we have a switch in our current system we actually stimulate cortisol during the night from the TV we watch just before we go to bed, the food we eat just before we go to bed, the relationship breakdown maybe just before we go to bed okay and actually during the night without realizing we're having peaks and troughs of cortisol so although we may be sleeping eight hours a day, and this is a, something we discuss as well, sleeping eight hours a day, we're actually waking up shattered. Yeah. We're, we're tired. Yeah. And that's because we're not getting the right, from a scientific perspective, we're not getting the right hormone to develop. We know now as prescription that people should get up in the morning and get morning light. Morning light. Indeed. Because the morning light, and, and there, was a, there was a program on uh, I forget, BBC or, or on Channel 4, I can't remember, where they actually did um, the 
the light capacity, lux capacity, when you're outside compared to when you're inside behind a window, it's dramatically different. You actually, when you go out and you actually get the sun rays into your eyes, you get a different, uh, a different level. And that sets your circadian rhythm, which is your sleep rhythm. So we actually now prescribe that people who are having sleep deprivation issues, people having sleep issues, tell them, don't worry about the night. In the morning, as soon as that sun rises, get out into the open air, doesn't matter if it's cold, just take two minutes to breathe in from fresh air and take some of that light in. And it, over a period of time, it sets your circadian rhythm, which is why we talk about uh, jet lag, time zone differences. Um, when the sun is raising it, we, we now know that if we eat breakfast from where you came from and don't eat on the plane and then you eat lunch when you arrive here, it sets your rhythm again. It's another perspective of setting your rhythm. So these practices, ancient practices, which actually now are becoming more current more appreciated, practices, yes. appreciated practices um, again prayer as a meditation perspective um, are coming into our everyday are there some practical tips or practical things that you've been doing or have been taught from a seminary perspective that actually within the faith world as a whole and within the non-faith world of people who may not necessarily ascribe to a particular faith or maybe thinking about their journey towards faith could start to practice and see the benefits of um, going forward. The moment you enter into the Islamic seminaries, there are spiritual sciences and character building sciences as well as rational sciences that you are taught. And as we stated earlier, they're all supposed to balance one another. The first thing you're actually taught about the uh, spiritual sciences is to live a very simplistic life. Mm. Now that's more and more difficult and one of the points I really really to really want to drill home to the audience was that here in the West especially, we live in concrete jungles. <laughs> now if you think about the development of human history, that's a new phenomenon. We've often, especially since the time of say Mesopotamia, um, Egypt, the birth the cradles of civilization, right? So we're talking about 3000 BC, 4000 BC, since then onwards, we have been living very collective lives, away from nomadic lives to more sedimentary lives, so on. That's fine. Live brilliantly amongst cities. But because of the type of industry now that we've got, we now have high-rise buildings, we now don't get as much light from the sun, we are getting light from street lamps. Right? So we don't get to see the sky and as technology. much. Right, all of Well, you're very right. You say that, but because the we're looking down at our phones, we're not looking up anymore. So, just on that point, b um, blue light from this technology, we're now creating yellow glasses yep. before you go to bed so that you do not take in that blue light and do right. not get that cortisol reduction. Exactly, so exactly. So, what we're talking about is that for millions of years of evolution, our bodies have been accustomed to something. And within a very quick space, I'm talking a generation, maybe even two, we have changed the whole system of living. Physiologically, our bodies cannot catch up that quick in terms of evolution. So we're living a very imbalanced life. Now, in the Islamic seminaries, you're taught to break off from that. And there are techniques that they give you to live very simplistic lives. It's almost like a, a shock to the body. Sometimes, as you know, when a person is addicted to something, you can wean yourself off. And sometimes, depending on how dangerous it is, 
you can break off from it entirely. Mm. It depends on what's best for you. Nicotine, alcohol, whatever it may be, too much phone. So the spirituality of that is imbibed into you from day one in the seminary. Now, there's a story, it's really funny. I remember there's a, you might be able to search this on Google, it might still be there. There were some youths in the US. I can't remember which city, they're from Detroit possibly or something like that. Because of all these high-rise buildings, you know sometimes during the day, you can see the, the crest of the moon, the white outline of the moon, right, during the day, depending on how close it is to the earth. Because they've been living in this concrete jungle, they had never seen the moon in the day. Do you know what they did? They dialed 911. They actually believed that the moon was, I swear to you, you can find it on Google, they believed that the moon was falling into the earth. So they were actually called up, it's called like, quick, we need to blow up the moon because otherwise it's gonna fall on the earth. But I swear to you, these are kids, youths. Now, God bless their, their good nature to, to call an, a, 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 well, a global emergency, but they were told, no, this is normal, that during the cycle of the moon, the moon does come closer to the earth, you will see it during the day, at some points during the lunar cycle. My point is, is that we've gone from a style of living to this style of living. It's a shock to the system. And what you said earlier was that we need to go out. We need to get sunlight, not light through glass. We need to go out into the open air. We need to actually walk through nature again. We need to break away from all this technology. That's one of the ways to purify the mind or get rid of the waste from the mind. Similarly, we need to get rid of the waste from the body. Now, once we go into the seminaries, we're taught some of these practices. Now, Muslims are famous for fasting in the month of Ramadan for one month. This is actually false. Again, because Muslims have forgotten their own sunnah, the practice of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, his recommendation, very well known to the extent that it's, it's, it's like one of the narrations we're certain about. Fast every Monday and fast every Thursday. Not compulsory, highly recommended to fast, to clean out the system, to get back into the mold of being able to be disciplined, mm. right? Not just for one month, fast every week, twice a week. We also are recommended on certain spiritual days or on the days when we're commemorating the birth or the martyrdom anniversaries of our great saintly figures to also fast. This is an irregular fast that may come about any time as well. So we're recommended these sorts of things. We're also recommended um, to, to, to channel the mind. So we talked about cleansing the mind from the waste. One of the things we're highly recommended to do is to sit and to think for one hour. Prophetic narration says, pondering, reflecting for one hour is better than the accumulation of 70 years worth of good deeds. Most of us don't accumulate 70 years worth of good deeds, but if we were to, one hour's reflection is the equivalent of the collection of 70 years worth of good deeds. Now, what that means is, is that when you said it well, that the mind is, is it's, it's chasing previous thoughts. One of my teachers said to me, his name was, uh, when I say my, I mean, not mine personally, I mean someone that we look up to in the community, uh, the former Imam of this mosque, Marhum Mullah Azhar, he said that the mind is like a bird. It's constantly jumping from branch to branch. 
right? And he said that in order to defeat that jumping, channel your thinking. So you think about one thing and you break it down. You structure your thinking process. You create a hierarchy of the importance of it. You deal with this first element of it. Then you go to the second element. You refer back to what you previously... All of this is building the mind, building the capacity of the mind to be a focused, structured mind, as opposed to the mind that's like a bird jumping from branch to branch, just looking for whatever food it can get. So we have that as a term of scheduling, as a term, so we, we talk about scheduling your life, doing the night before, having affirmations in your life, telling you you're gonna do this, this is gonna be work, this is gonna work. So you're channeling, you're channeling your mind to what you need to achieve. And also this idea of purpose, of breaking down a purposeful life. You may not know your purpose. When we say purpose, I know I talk to my wife about this, we say, oh, what's your purpose? It's like, it can change all the, all the time. You know, if you don't have a, a, a concrete purpose, it's constantly changing. It's because constantly we're being pulled in directions constantly. Everyone wants a piece of our time. Mm. Businesses are up and down, Correct. right? So just just knowing that, and, and for you for your audience, you can't see uh, Jaffa there. He's actually doing this animation, very I'm good an animation. I'm a very animated of, person. Of pulling and tearing apart. As a Spurs fan, we have to get up off our feet <laughs> because really, you know, otherwise we don't have anything else in life. <laughs> <laughs> but that animation, even Spurs fans are very animated as well. This this animation of tearing apart, it's it's essentially, especially. You know, I know I'm I'm going to be taking this move away from London now, but people in London t- tell me this a lot. They get pulled apart by a variety of different things. They're coming home at nine o'clock tired. Yeah. Just take a takeaway. They're getting pulled apart by what's on TV. Yeah. They get pulled apart by the news. They get pulled apart by uh, activities they need to do. They're taking the sun in the, to, to uh, extracurricular activity for the weekend, or you know, they're getting pulled apart all the time, and they haven't got time. We live such a fast-paced life. To spend an hour. Just sitting and thinking. (laughs) But from the Islamic perspective, it's the other way around. All of the things that you just mentioned are secondary. We normally have a phrase. It goes something like this. You know, we don't work. We don't live to work. We work to live. Hmm. Right? And what we mean by that is that work isn't supposed to govern our life. From the Islamic perspective, what governs our life is the five compulsory daily prayers the first one at sunrise or just before the next one in the time of peak um, midday third one is in the afternoon fourth one is at sunset and the fifth one is at night so this governs our time second thing that governs our time is this narration i mentioned sit and think for one hour and the third narration that governs our time is that before you sleep take account of your day Wow, yep, that's another one. <laughs> yeah, another one on our list. It's very difficult, but we're accustomed to doing it the opposite way around. That we fit all of these things around the busy schedule. It's supposed to be You're the busy around. schedule is fitted around all of these compulsory. When I say compulsory, spiritually mm. compulsory elements mm. that would build on the mind, would build on the the body. So what might be a, a good practical three um, for this particular podcast? And we can see, um, please feel free uh, if you want to post on our forum, if you want to send us an email, let us know what you have felt when you've gone through these three practices. But the morning vigil, we'll see how that comes about. If you can get some morning light, wake up in the morning, maybe that's the best time for this one hour of reflection. Or let's start with 10 minutes. Let's start with two minutes. Put your phone away. away. Take a walk if you want outside. 
just up and down the street, local yeah. park, whatever it may be. So we'll do a start, morning vigil. Start with that one, and start then we got the second one. We'll go on the fast. Try a fast. Try it a doesn't fast. necessarily mean it has to be the Islamic perspective of a fast from sunrise to sunset. But the idea of a discipline of saying I'm not going to do X for X amount of time. Correct. Whatever it may be. Lent is a great way to get involved for many of our Christian friends and non-Christian friends. But just to try and experience these things that build up the discipline. Mm. And the third one is don't overeat. Okay. Should we, should we take that one? Yeah, let's take that one. Should we take that one? Yeah, that's right. Fine. We mentioned the prophetic hadith, the prophetic of, narration, of dividing into three. Mm -hmm. Just have you know one third for water, one third for food, one third for space in your stomach. Thank you. Just like any guest, I always uh, like to give the opportunity for audiences to get in touch with you. If you have any Instagram handles and uh, Twitter handles or whatever else that there might be out there. Um, is there a, a way that people can get in touch with you either through the, the mosque itself? Um, are you free to come and visit? I mean, I, I'm currently sitting in, in the office um, here and it's a kind of peaceful office here. Um, I'm sure there are opportunities for others to come and visit you. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a Facebook page, which is Sheikh Jafar Ladakh. So that's S-H-E-I-K-H. Jaffer, J-A-F-F-E-R, Ladakh, L-A-D-A-K. And all of my lectures, programs, they're all live streamed, majority are live streamed. So, uh, you YouTube. know, all the, the various topics that we talk about are available on there. And I have a Twitter uh, handle, which is at Jaffer Ladakh, same spelling as well. And anyone who wants to get in contact with me can do through there. Uh, or they can email um, here at Hujat Stanmore email, which is alim, A-A-L-I-M, at hujjat, H-U-J-J-A-T dot org. It's my email address here. I, you know, I do school visits, people school visits come here. Always looking to chill, make friends, learn from each other, God willing. Thank you so much. I'll put those on the show notes so people can have access to that. Thank you. And hopefully we can set up further discussions on these other topics and maybe go into a bit more detail of these other topics Look as we to progress. It. Thank you so much.